Coming up, March Madness has lived up to its famous moniker this year, highlighted by little brother Loyola Chicago's win over big brother Illinois. Will LeBron James' ankle injury impact the West? The Deshaun Watson saga is getting worse by the day in Houston. Should Met fans start worrying about Francisco Lindor and a potential key loss in golf as the Masters are just two and a half weeks away? I'll have that plus much more, but first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you to all please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, even CastBox, Player FM, and also Amazon Music. For more information on me, the pod, archive shows, etc., you could go to the website at www.jreels.com. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it, in turn, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. I appreciate you all for supporting the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, trusting, and believing in me. And with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing fine, feeling fantastic. Spring has finally arrived, and with flying colors so far as the weather in New York City has been astounding, it will be so for the next couple of days, so we can all rejoice about that. And also, the same goes for what's happening in the sports universe, as I'm glad you've stopped by to consume everything that's on my mind, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 186 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, March the 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. As expected, lots of player movement going on in the NFL, but the biggest story is what's taking place in Houston with Deshaun Watson now up to 12 lawsuits stemming from alleged sexual misconduct towards several women, masseuses, etc. What does this mean for the player and organization moving forward? I'll explain later. In the NBA, first it was Anthony Davis. Now it's LeBron James who had to exit Saturday's game with a high ankle sprain and is out indefinitely. 
What does this mean for the defending champions and the rest of the Western Conference? You definitely want to stay tuned for that. Also, baseball is now 10 days away from starting its season. Opening day will be on April the 1st. But Francisco Lindor is now on the clock. Should the Met fan become worried if a deal isn't struck by opening day? I'll have that. Plus the Bruins of the NHL, that is, Boston Bruins, has to put a pause on their season due to COVID as it now affects another team in the Eastern Division. I'll have that. Also, a key player on the PGA Tour may not be able to play in Augusta as the Masters kicks off the first of four majors this year in just two and a half weeks. And no, I'm not talking about Tiger Woods. That plus my hero and zero of the week. But our first stop here on the podcast is the Madness of March. And I'm wondering if everybody in the country who is wrapped up in the tournament, are they really feeling it? Are they all geeked up about it? Are the juices flowing for the college circuit? Well, yours truly here, I have to say and admit, as much as I've been on top of it, as much as I followed it, but as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, with the way the weather has been in New York and knowing That spring never comes in the Northeast. It seems like we go from March 22nd to pretty much June 1st, and that's when spring begins, and then just three weeks later, it's summer. So knowing that the past two days, it was almost 60 degrees, not a cloud to be found, and there was no way that I was going to stay indoors to watch 12 hours of basketball on Saturday, and then yesterday with the eight games to wrap up the first round, so to speak, is even though you're into the second round, but again, with the Friday and Sunday being the first set of games that now you have part of the Sweet 16 already set up, there was no way that I was going to subject myself to not enjoying this lovely weather and watching college basketball both of those days. And people are going to say, Jay Reels, you do a sports show. How would you possibly even think of going outside knowing that spring has just begun that you have plenty of warm days ahead and better days that lie ahead in the weeks and months to come, that you're going to sacrifice the first couple of days of the tournament just to go outside and get some fresh air and some sunshine? That's an easy answer. Yes. I could follow these games on my phone. I could watch some of these highlights on my phone. I don't need to be wrapped up in every single matchup And even though you had a lot of drama and a lot of surprise and a lot of shock over the weekend, but when you have two beautiful days, and especially here in the Northeast where, as everybody knows, it could be the middle of May and it's 50 degrees and raining. All you have to do is just come back sometime around the middle of April, and probably not even as far as that, when I start talking about how Met games or Yankee games are being rained out or delayed because of showers or because of just atrocious weather where you know that you're going to get that 45 degree rainy day with the wind chill in the 30s and games going to be played. And knowing that it was a weekend and that both days, as I said before, sunny as far as the eye could see, that to be indoors, to watch these games, and mind you, you had a lot of thrilling games, huge upsets, which we'll get to in a minute, But there was no way that I was not going to go out there and enjoy what Mother Nature had to bring here in the Northeast, at least for these first couple of days, because as we all know, you cannot get this time back. And yes, it is college basketball. It is March Madness. First time in two years. A lot of these matchups, nobody had an idea, even though people could pretty much think 
Who are the top teams in college basketball? Who are the teams that are going to make it there to a Final Four? Well, if you're in Illinois, and that's where we're going to start, because the Fighting Illini were probably the hottest team going into the tournament, arguably. I know people will think Gonzaga with them being undefeated. But with the run that they've had in the Big Ten all year, winning the Big Ten Conference Tournament, and then the game yesterday against Loyola of Chicago, the little brother in town. And I said this last week. Loyola Chicago was a team that has flown under everybody's radar because we all know college basketball is all about the Blue Bloods and the teams that usually make it to the tournament and stake their claim as far as the pedigree goes. And we know about the Dukes, the Kentuckys. We go on down the list. North Carolina who bowed out in the first round the other day against Wisconsin. But when you have a team like Loyola Chicago, who was ranked in the top 25 most of the year, and a lot of people thought that if they were going to get to a second round game against Illinois, there would be a lot of drama because of the little brother, big brother focus between the two schools. Nobody knows Loyola Chicago. In fact, everybody knows Sister Jean by now. And you can look back in the last few years with them being in the tournament, but her being the sole focus and saying the prayer before the game and all of the juju and mojo that's surrounding that team right now, where Illinois, they knew that all the pressure was on them and you saw that performance yesterday to where the fighting Illini did not go with a fight, that's for sure, because the Ramblers of Loyola Chicago are now moving ahead to the Sweet 16 and pretty much your theme for these first few days, and all you need to know is this, You still have some games today, which I don't like. And you know what? Let me start there before I even get to my big theme because we understand that this is a different year. We know that the way the tournament has been set up, it has to be done this way with the bubble and the venues and having to push it a day or so to where now when you look at the Sweet 16 after today, It's not going to be your usual Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they're not going to start it on Friday as they did with the tournament this past week. They're going to start the Sweet 16 Saturday. So where you're going to get your final four result at some point Tuesday evening. And then you'll have your final four set that Saturday. And then the championship game the following Monday. So just knowing that it's been off kilter and understandably so. It's one of the reasons why I don't like that as I start this podcast that there's still eight games to be played, that the weekend is not set up for a Sweet 16 so that I can start looking ahead after reviewing what took place. And that's one of the things that I find, I'm not going to go as far as saying that it's atrocious or distasteful or anything like that, but it does leave a little more to be desired because you anticipate a bunch of games today And seeing what teams could take that next step to a Sweet 16, especially if you're a team like Abilene Christian, which we'll get to in a minute. But it just leaves not even a bad taste in your mouth. It just leaves you wanting more and it just leaves you feeling like, ah, yeah, I I feel like I need to discuss all the teams that were involved and there's still some games that need to be completed today. And that's the one thing that's unfortunate as I deliver this to you because although part of the stage is set for next weekend, but not the complete set. So that's number one. Now the theme that I really want to start off with is here's all you need to know about this tournament that's only three days old. 
For the first time in history, you have four teams that were seeded 13 or worse advanced to the second round, which is highlighted by Oral Roberts becoming only the second 15 seed to make it to a Sweet 16 with wins over Ohio State and Florida. And how impressive is that? A team that nobody could even probably put their finger on the map to find out where Oral Roberts is or name a player, their coach, etc. And here they are. They beat Ohio State, a team that had played well, but they were pretty much up and down here leading into the Big Ten tournament. And even though they did beat Michigan along the way in the tournament, but they did lose in the championship game to Illinois. And then beating Florida. And even though, like I mentioned before, you still have these second round games, especially from Saturday, that need to be completed today. But chances are you may have Abilene Christian who beat Texas the other day. And what did I say about Texas? Texas historically does not perform well in the tournament. Now, granted, they've made a Final Four. I believe that was, what, 17 years ago when the Syracuse Orangemen, that was the year Carmelo, his freshman year, won a national title game. But the Longhorns never, ever make their stamp of approval on a tournament year in and year out. They may have high-seeded teams like they did this year as the number three. They may have teams that were expected to go long or expected to make a Final Four run or even win a national title game. Well, look what happened. Abilene Christian goes ahead and another school where a lot of people, they couldn't find it if you gave them a GPS. Here they are moving on to the second round and it's been indicative of just these first three days highlighted by what happened there with Oral Roberts and what they did over the weekend. But you also have to give credit to Ohio for beating the defending champs of two years ago in Virginia and what they've done here so far. Even Oregon State, another double-digit seed as number 12, beating my Final Four pick in Oklahoma State there yesterday with Cade Cunningham. And that's what you're going to see here in this tournament because I can't see that changing today unless there's going to be a drastic 360 Because when you look at teams like Maryland, who came into the tournament in their region as a number 10 seed, you're going to have, like I mentioned, Abilene Christian may get to a Sweet 16, and they're going to go up against UCLA, which they're ranked 11. And remember, they started off this whole tournament by beating Michigan State. Granted, it's not a vintage Michigan State team led by Tom Izzo, but with UCLA winning there on Thursday as one of the first four to get into the tournament, and now they have a chance to go back to a Sweet 16, and geez, I can't remember how long. I guess you got to go back to those 06, 07 years when they made it to the Final Four, playing in those back-to-back years. I believe one of those years they played Florida. If not, I believe they played Florida twice, one for a title game and then one in the semifinal game in those two seasons that the Gators, led by Billy Donovan, Joachim Noah, Al Horford, etc., won those back-to-back titles. But that's what you've gotten here over the last couple of days and who knows what lies ahead today where this is indicative of the type of frenzy, of the type of chaos, and quite frankly, the madness that this tournament brings year in and year out. And as we know, for the peaks that we've seen here in the last 72 hours, but there also could be some valleys because we've seen time and time again Teams make a Cinderella run, and then what happens? They just go right into the tank because they certainly cannot match up against the better teams in the country. And although these upsets are always good early, they make for great theater, they make for great storylines, and again, to have those Cinderellas. But the one thing 
as much as we have seen those type of games in the past where the clock strikes 12 and their Cinderella run, whether it's two games, three games, four games, etc., go up in smoke. And that's when you look at the college game, not as it being a farce, but like, oh, when you have that matchup of, let's say, a powerhouse in college basketball, and not to say that there are many powerhouses in college basketball this year, but if a team goes up against that lower-seeded team deeper into the tournament and then it all happens to blow up in their face and let's say it ends up being a 76-51 type game, then that's when you say to yourself, oh, now I wish we had a team like Illinois or a team like Texas despite their terrible record in the tournament over the years. That's when you miss those type of matchups because you're not going to get those type of matchups later on, obviously, because of those top teams being ousted. And although this is a different year, but hopefully this year, based on what we've seen so far, quite possibly it could be a scenario where all bets are off because there isn't that dominant basketball team. All right, you want to say Gonzaga or we'll give it to them. We know Baylor could be a team that could go far. Obviously, the Michigans of the world. You're looking at some of these other teams, Alabama as a two seed. We get all that. But this is one year where it is literally a coin toss. You do not know from one game to the next who's going to come out victorious despite the fact that whether it's the school success over the years or even the team success this year, some of these mid-majors and these underdog schools, what we've seen so far, I can't see that trend stopping Today, as we mentioned with some of those other teams that have a chance to go to the Sweet 16. And even if it does go to the next round and to next weekend, we still have those games where we just never know. Any one of these teams, I'm not going to say on any given day, I hate these stupid cliches, but that's the beauty of college basketball. It's one and done. It's not a best of three, best of five, etc. When you have an opportunity to have a team that's going to hang around or a team that could do special things that has no business of being anywhere close to being on the same court as some of these teams, that's where it becomes magical. And even though the dangers, like I mentioned before, could be in that blowout game or a first half where the team is either nervous or not in sync and the team that has been in this predicament before or been in the tournament over the course of five years, 10 years, etc., knows how to get it done. Granted, the players are interchangeable, but the coach, the coaching staff, just the pedigree of the school, everything that could pretty much embody what a talented and experienced team can do over the lesser known, less experienced, and let's face it, the team that's nowhere near on the map on a college basketball season could take their school to heights that have never been seen. Chances are the former succeeds more than the latter. But with this year, I'm not going to sit here and say, would you be surprised that Abilene Christian's going to make it to a Final Four? Or even bigger than that, a championship game? Could it happen? Now, they still have four more games to get to, really three after today, to get to becoming a Final Four team, but you just never know. And part of it is because of this year. We've seen crazier things in sports and because of the scenarios and everything that's happened, I mean, think about this. Virginia Commonwealth had to bow out of a game uncontested to Oregon as they moved on to play today 
in the second round because they didn't have enough players to suit up to dress due to COVID. So hopefully that's the only scenario that college basketball has to deal with here because as I said last week, they pretty much dragged themselves to the finish line with everything that happened with the Kansas team and COVID and Virginia and you saw what happened with Virginia a couple of days ago as I mentioned before with Ohio. The unpredictability of the sport is now reached a level where you just don't know who's going to win day in and day out. And I believe that this year is going to be different. Now, obviously, could that change? Of course it could. But would it surprise me that if some of these teams that I mentioned before advance to a Sweet 16 and maybe even win a game in that next round? Absolutely not. Because, again, there isn't that one team. Okay, like I said, Gonzaga. Or if you want to even say Michigan, although they've stubbed their toe a little bit here down the stretch. But that doesn't mean that these teams are going to be automatics. Doesn't mean that these top teams are going to just steamroll over the competition. And that's what you have to like so far about the tournament. And the only reason why I'm encapsulating this in one big umbrella is because I'm not going to go through each region, each bracket, each of these games because it's going to take forever and obviously I got a zillion other things to get to and I don't want this to be a three-hour podcast I don't want to bore you to tears but we know college basketball right now is the focus of the sports universe but with all that being said I want to put a nice ribbon on this knowing that the theme for what has happened to date and could possibly happen today moving forward not only because of the strange year and not only because of all these upsets that we've seen but can we see this trend continue And you know what? I'm going to go with my gut and say, yes, only because it's just that type of year. And I know that's a weird prediction. I know it's even going out on the limb, but what am I going to say? I'm going to sit here and say, oh yeah, well, Gonzaga's just going to breeze through and this team's going to breeze through and it's going to be chalk after today. Why would that change considering that the rest of the college basketball landscape is seeing all these teams pulling off these upsets So if you're these smaller schools, you're thinking, hey, we could do the same thing. You know, it's not you got one or two of these teams that are doing it. You got multiple teams that are doing it. So whether you're Oral Roberts or Oregon State and whomever comes out of today after all those teams I mentioned, you know, even UCLA, which would be great for not only the school, but for the sport, because we know the history of UCLA in the tournament. I mean, that goes without saying. So when you have all this built up it's great to have these teams and granted they could fall flat on their face later on understood but it's good to see that a lot of these teams making these strides even in a year where it's been discombobulated and thrown upside down due to the coronavirus and even a team like the Syracuse Orangemen where Jim Boeheim again working his March magic as he always seems to do especially when he's a lower seed Remember that one year, he was one of the first four teams, and I believe they made it all the way to a regional final? Well, he's at it again. Granted that he made it into the tournament as one of the final 64 teams, didn't have to start off with the first four. But backed by his son, Buddy, with 30 and 25 points respectively, making it back to a Sweet 16, beating both San Diego State, who had a very good year, and then West Virginia with Bob Huggins, beating those two teams along the way to where now you have Jim Boeheim back in a place where he's very familiar with. 
So that's also another good thing to see, as I talked about before with UCLA, if they win their game today. And I would think a lot of people in the country are probably rooting for Abilene Christian, the small school that nobody knows about. But to have the likes of Syracuse or even UCLA to substitute for Duke not being there, Kentucky not being there, that's what brings the tournament juice. That's what brings the tournament the excitement because they are familiar with the coach that's been there forever in a one Jim Beheim or UCLA, as you'll see the old clips of John Wooden and Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton. Now, granted, that was 45, 50 years ago, but still UCLA synonymous with college basketball. And with that said, you've also had some close calls with some of these teams that are in the double digits or teams that you would think have no reason being in the tournament. When you look at what happened there between UC Santa Barbara and Creighton, where Creighton pretty much stumbled into the tournament after getting blown out by Georgetown. And don't worry, I'll get to them in a minute. Where Santa Barbara actually had a shot there at the end of the game. They had a layup, which was pretty much a bunny, a gimme right there at the layup. It hit off the back of the rim. Came out where UC Santa Barbara would have made it to today's round and had a chance to go to the Sweet 16. And then what about Rutgers last night? If you're a fan of the Scarlet Knights, which are pretty much right across the river here, you had a golden opportunity to make it to a Sweet 16 in I can't even remember how long. And going up against the number two seed Houston, and for them to squander that game away, they didn't score a field goal in the last four plus minutes, and they were playing, literally hanging off of their dear lives, playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And it's a shame because that would have been a great story too. You would have had another double-digit seed move ahead to go on to a Sweet 16, and would have ousted the number two Cougars of Houston. And today, I'm sure they're not only sick, but they're not going to be able to sleep between now and the start of the college basketball season in November. That's the type of loss it was. They had a 10-point lead with nine points to go. I get a 10-point lead in basketball, whether it's pros or college, is nothing. It could go in a blink of an eye. But just to see them falter down the stretch the way they did, and a lot of it was their own doing, shooting themselves in the foot and just trying to play Again, like I said, not to lose the game. And when you do that, you're going to lose that game nine times out of ten. And with the Scarlet Knights, that's what happened. If you watched that game there late last night where Houston was able to survive and move on to a Sweet 16. All right, now let me get to the Georgetown-Colorado game, which was the first game on Saturday. And of course, thankfully, it was a game that was early on. As I mentioned before, I wanted to enjoy the weather and I didn't go outside because I was frustrated with Georgetown just not even being in the game and getting blown out. And what a surprise because this was a team that I didn't expect much from. As I said last week, the wins you really savor are the ones that come out of nowhere. And what took place during the Big East tournament by them capping it off with a championship over Creighton. And I knew this wasn't going to be an easy game. I haven't watched Colorado all year, so I wouldn't even know to even handicap how tough of a team or how tough of an opponent that they were. But Georgetown, their ugly habits came to roost. They cannot shoot the ball to save their lives. In fact, I know they have a bunch of good recruits that are coming in next year. Could one of those guys be a shooter, please? The last good shooter, because Georgetown's never had a great shooter, the last good shooter that they had was Reggie Williams. And that goes back 35 years. So hopefully one of these guys that are coming in next year could shoot the ball because what you saw there on Saturday reminded me of the first few minutes of the championship game between Creighton and Georgetown to where they were just missing the rim. They, I they just couldn't shoot. And 
after the first seven minutes of the game, you might as well turn your sets off. Georgetown, I mean, it was close for the first seven minutes, but then after that, it was just a whitewash. Led by Jabari Walker, who I believe just made another three. He was perfect from behind the arc, 9 for 10 for the game, 24 points. That's Samari Walker's son, if you remember. Played at Louisville, 96 draft, the famed 96 draft. Obviously, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, Ray Allen, etc. And what could you say? Georgetown was just not in the game and was putrid and pathetic. And was I surprised? Absolutely not. I would hope they would have been more competitive. But it didn't sting me, or nor was I highly disappointed because I was not expecting much going into that game. I got to say that honestly. And I know you guys out there listening could say, come on, Jay Reels, how can you not be disappointed? They had that great run in the Big East, and then for them to lay a big giant deuce in the middle of the court, I understand. But sometimes these losses, it would have killed me more if they were lost by two than losing by 26 or whatever the final score was, 23. So... I can't sit here and say that, oh, they should have gone further. There were a 12 seed that ran the table, won a Big East, and that's how they got into the tournament. If not, even if they were lost to Creighton, they would have been out anyway. So no more victories. You know me. That's not how I roll when it comes to rooting for my sports teams. But at the same time, all I could say is that, yeah, they won a Big East championship. They lost in the first round. What a surprise. This is familiar territory for this school considering that they were first round exits against Ohio first round exits against the Florida Gulf Coast University team when they were a two seed that year I listen we could go on and on with Georgetown's foibles other than the 2007 final four team where either they can't make it out of the first round or if they do make it out of the first round what happens they lose in a second round matchup to Davidson in 2009 which was the Stephen Curry team that made it to a sweet 16 and that's been Georgetown's MO in the tournament here pretty much for the last 20 years and I know 2001 they made it to a sweet 16 that year and a lot of that was because I believe off the top of my head Iowa State Jamal Tinsley his team got ambushed by Hampton in the first round if you remember and that's how Georgetown made it to the sweet 16 but that's been the theme pretty much this whole century where Georgetown can't seem to get anything going here in the tournament other than that 07 team with Roy Hibbert, Jeff Green, Jonathan Wallace, Dewan Summers, etc. So now as we move forward and quickly look ahead to today's matchups, you got Gonzaga going up against Oklahoma. That's going to be your second game of the day. Iowa will play Oregon. And remember, I mentioned before, Oregon uncontested as VCU had to bow out of their first round matchup. Abilene Christian UCLA, as I mentioned, that's your 515 game. And then you have all the other games pretty much bunched up later on where you'll see Michigan go up against LSU. Colorado and Florida State, that should be a very competitive game. That's pretty much a toss-up and maybe probably the most competitive game of the day. USC and Kansas will cap off the day at 940. Maryland, Alabama, and we shall see. Ohio and Creighton, so let's see if Ohio could be one of those teams that, as a 13 seed, make it to a Sweet 16. I'd like to see it. I mean, why not? I get that could mean for non-competitive games down the road, but as I said before, with the way this year has gone, would you be surprised that these teams don't make a run or don't feel as if they could go ahead and get themselves to the next step, to an Elite Eight, Final Four, etc.? Why not? 
Now, the one thing I will say before I move on to other things, what's going to be interesting here is that, remember, these players, coaches, et cetera, they're all in a bubble. So after today, you're not going to see most of these teams until the weekend. So it's not as if they're playing in a particular city and they're going to fly back to their school, go ahead for the next few days to practice, unwind, relax, and then fly back to wherever their city was going to be for a regional semifinal and final. Now they're going to be sitting around Indianapolis for the next four or five days. And you wonder what type of toll that's going to take. Not more so for the coaches. And hey, listen, the coaches are human too. You would think that that could also affect them, but more so for the players. They're going to be holed up in their hotel rooms. I'm sure they can't really interact with their teammates. I'm sure there's probably two to a room. But with them not being able to leave the floor and them not being able to go out other than practice and back, you got to wonder the psyche of these players and what this could mean especially more so in the opening minutes of these games as you reach into the Sweet 16, if that'll have any effect of the quality of play once we get restarted here come Saturday. Something just to keep in mind, I understand that these are kids, these aren't professional players, this isn't the NBA where you could put them in a bubble for anywhere between 30 to 90 days, and we know the grind that it took on some of the players throughout the course of the bubble last July through October. But now, with a college kid, even for five days to sit alone in a hotel room, that could be pretty daunting, and that certainly could be challenging for some of these teams, no matter who you are. Whether you're the number one seed in the nation or a team that just barely skated by, again, just something to keep in mind here as we get a little bit deeper into this tournament. And we'll obviously continue to keep our eyes on that as we move it along here. And one last thing, next week when we talk about not only just recapping today, which again will be a week old, but we'll only get those first two rounds in, which I'm not going to like because we will have part of the Elite Eight set up, but we won't have the other half set up. So it's going to be a little bit tricky. Of course, you could follow me on any of my social media accounts, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, or Facebook for any updates, especially as we move along throughout the week and even into next week. So, you know, I'll have a thing or two to say about what takes place with these games and keep you posted on any of those social media outlets. Now, to go from the college hardwood to the professional hardwood, And the big story coming out of the weekend is what took place in L.A. on Saturday with the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champion Lakers, where LeBron James turned his right ankle, is now in a walking boot, out indefinitely, and those high ankle sprains, they never heal in season. And if you're Rob Palenka and the front office of the champions, right now you have to proceed with caution and we know that LeBron is superhuman we know that he's from another planet we know that his health throughout the course of his career other than the 17 games in his first season in a Laker uniform where he tore his groin there on Christmas day against the Golden State Warriors other than that he has been just a clean bill of health but again if you're the front office here you tell LeBron We need you for the postseason. 
And you know LeBron is going to be chomping at the bit to get back. But as I said, those high ankle sprains, I don't care how much you tape them. I don't care how much you get cortisone injected into them. It does not matter. Those suckers take forever and a day to get better. And considering Anthony Davis is on the shelf and has been probably for another week or two, and even with them being fourth in the, or I believe third right now, excuse me, in the Western Conference, where Utah and Phoenix are still ahead of them, and other teams nipping at their heels, it does not matter. I said it before, I'll say it again. The Lakers could fall to eight in the Western Conference, and as long as LeBron is back, and especially if both he and AD are back, they're still going to be the favorites to not go to a final, but win it. And I would think that if you're Frank Vogel and company, you're sitting LeBron down to say, we need you to be 100% back. We get that 80% of LeBron James is better than 100%. Jeez, 25% of LeBron James is better than most of the league. But I know LeBron is smart enough to know it's all about the ring. And he needs to be 100% healthy here in order for him to get himself back. Listen, for everything that I said about the man, he is 36 years old. I mean, when is he going to slow down? Not that I want him to, but it's a thing where I would think he needs the rest. I would think this will be a prime chance and opportunity for him to not only get his ankle better first and foremost, but him to really get his wind under his sails to go through that long stretch heading into May, June, and July to see if they could hoist the Lawrence O'Brien trophy over their heads again. So I would think he's going to be smart and make sure that when he does come back, he's going to be raring to go. But what does it say for the rest of the West? To me, it doesn't say much because, again, unless the Lakers fall completely out of the top eight seeds in the conference, as long as they're back come game one of the quarterfinals, to me, it doesn't matter. I don't care what team surpasses them in these standings. I don't care if what team gets hot, stays hot, has been a juggernaut. It doesn't matter. If one of those two guys are there, and particularly LeBron, but if they're both there come tip-off of that first game, then it doesn't matter whether they're 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th. They're going to be the favorites to win it all. So as much as those fans in the cities of Utah, Phoenix, across town with the Clippers, even in Denver, San Antonio, you name the team or name the city, and their fans may be rubbing their hands to think that, oh, maybe this is our opportunity. No, no, no. You have to think twice, my guys. And gals too, can't forget them. So that's been the first big note of the week. Also, the trade deadline is Thursday, so you wonder what teams are going to be in position to make a big move. I know the Celtics, after losing four or five and at home against Sacramento the other night, had a team meeting afterwards led by Marcus Smart, who is the heart and soul, blood and guts of the organization as far as the personnel, their roster goes. Said that there's still time left, a lot of things that needed to be tweaked. Guys came out of that meeting feeling refreshed, ready to go. It was much needed to where they beat Orlando, big whoop, yesterday. But hopefully that's the start of a turnaround for this team, which they've not gotten out of their own way all year. And they're currently sixth in the Eastern Conference. Now later on in the week, they have a back-to-back in Milwaukee, which is going to be a true test because they do not match up well against the Bucks. So as much as this meeting may have done well for them, Yesterday, and I believe they do have a game tomorrow before going to Milwaukee there Wednesday and then playing them on Friday. So we'll see what happens there. And then on top of that, you had all the rumors with 
Brad Stevens maybe taking the Indiana job where they had this big shrine outside of Assembly Hall for Brad Stevens to come back to his native state. Remember, he was the coach of Butler, which was right down the road there as he brought those teams to consecutive national title games in the early 2010s. But Brad Stevens had said at 44 years old that he is a mass hole. So you could do the math there. Massachusetts, and I'll say it, asshole. Combine those two, he's a mass hole, so he's not going anywhere. And thankfully for that, because although I feel that he's been under the gun here, especially this year, and I know with COVID issues and Kemba Walker, and I get all that, but this team should be a lot better than what its record indicates. So we'll see if the Celtics and Danny Ainge makes a move here. You have LaMelo Ball, and that's a bad break, no pun intended, there on Saturday where he was driving for a layup and then crashed down to the court to where he broke his right wrist to where his thumb connects on his shooting hand. And he's going to be evaluated here in New York, but it looks like he may be done for the season a guy who is far and away the best rookie so far this year. Is he going to win it? Only playing 41 of the 72 games remains to be seen. To me, I don't even know who's a distant second right now. That just goes to show you how much of an impact the rookies have had here in the NBA this year. I know Anthony Edwards could be the guy, come to think of it. He's a guy that's uh, shown a lot of flash here with his high-flying, rim-rattling dunks. But is that going to be enough to unseat LaMelo Ball for Rookie of the Year. He's a guy that does average a lot of points, but not a lot of rebounds and assists. So we'll wait and see if you're interested in that. And speaking of the trade deadline, I know the Bucs made a very under-the-radar trade, bringing P.J. Tucker to the Bucs. And he's a guy that is a glue guy, plays defense, could hit a three. Uh, I think a good compliment to a Buck team to see if they're going to be pushing themselves to a Conference final victory and getting themselves to an NBA final. As we've seen the last two years, they faltered big time. And with the Rockets, speaking of them, they've lost 20 straight games. I didn't even know that. And with everything that has happened in Houston over the last year, we'll get to more on Houston in a minute. Between the James Harden trade, between J.J. Watt leaving, between uh, you name it. I mean, they've just had a brutal past 14 months or so if you're a sports fan in that town. So Tucker escapes the... Losing in Houston and goes to a team that is prepared to make a deep championship run. Also, Miami gets rid of Myers Leonard. We talked about him last week with the racial epithet that was over a Call of Duty game, I believe through Twitch or one of those streaming services, where he gets shipped to OKC for Trevor Ariza, which I think is a very good deal. Ariza is a guy who brings length, experience, and also some championship pedigree with his days with the Lakers. So you would think the Heat, who are trying to get their footing here and have played a little bit better, but I thought that was a very good move to bring in a guy like that to their team, which pretty much fits that Heat mold, a guy who's going to be a grinder, a guy who's going to battle, scratch, and claw. So to get rid of Leonard and everything that happened with him, and he wasn't really much of a contributor this year to bring back a guy like Ariz, I thought was a very smart move by them. You also have uh, Chris Paul. Reaching the 10,000 assist mark in league history. Sixth player to do so. Congratulations goes out to him. And pretty much everything throughout the league has been the same like last week. When you look in the East, Philly, they continue to win as they're ahead of the Nets by a game. The Bucks by two games. It looks like a carbon copy from last week 
when you look at it from the surface. But the one team that's streaking in the East, and we talked about them last week winning six in a row and having changed coaches with Nate McMillan going in there, but now with eight straight wins and currently fourth, just a half game ahead of the Heat in the Eastern Conference are the Atlanta Hawks. Are they a team to be reckoned with here? Still early. I know that sometimes a change of scenery or maybe having that coach prior to Nate McMillan, having him leave and then getting a new voice, just a new perspective in there could do wonders. Well, it's certainly done so in this case. So we'll see what the Hawks could do down the stretch to kind of put themselves in position to keep themselves in the top four. I don't think they're going to penetrate anywhere close to the top three as they're, what, four and a half games behind the Bucks for the third seed in the conference. But then we have the Heat, then the Celtics, the Knicks, who I know got jobbed recently, and especially last night there with that game against the Sixers at the end. But now they're a game under 500. And then you have the Hornets, who we'll see what happens without LaMelo Ball. That's going to be a huge loss there for the team. And who would think that a rookie would be a contributing factor to the team this year and not only that but not having him not to say that could mean them not making the playoffs time will tell but with the Pacers and Bulls right behind them just a game behind in the east certainly a lot of basketball to be played and we'll see how that unfolds and then in the west like I said it's Utah Phoenix the Lakers Clippers followed by the Nuggets and Trailblazers who are a game and a half behind the Clippers there for the fourth seed San Antonio and Dallas And then you have the Warriors who are ninth on the outside looking in. And then Memphis 10th. And again, we get that 7, 8, 9, 10 deal. We have to remember that toward the end of the season. They'll have to duke it out to see who's going to be the final two seeds to make it into the Western Conference. Same for the East. But your NBA is pretty much status quo as far as game in and game out over the past week. All right, before I get to the NHL... And then even baseball before we say goodbye. And also a note on golf. I want to get to the football now because we know that the season is open for business in the NFL. And we talked about it a little bit last week with some of the signings that were premature and weren't to be announced as official as of this past Wednesday. But now that we're really deep into this, and I'll get to the Deshaun Watson thing a little bit later on. I can't start off with that right now. But with the signings and the players going here, there, and everywhere, and not to crown champions in March or even April when it comes to free agency, but of course the one team that's going to stick out above and beyond all the other teams are the New England Patriots. And the Patriots had about, what, $60 million under the cap, and they brought back Cam Newton, which I wouldn't have done. I get that you have to have some stability at the quarterback position. They're not going to push all their chips to the middle of the table with the one Jared Stidham. So knowing that they had all this money in the bank and if they brought Cam Newton back for just one year and I believe at $14 million and supply some weapons around them which they didn't have last year and they went above and beyond on both sides of the ball but especially offensively not bringing in one but two tight ends and a one Hunter Henry from the LA Chargers and Jonu Smith from the Tennessee Titans and to complement that with Kendrick Bourne imported from San Francisco Nelson Aguilar, who had a very good season with the Raiders, but we all know historically has those flashes where he could be a number two receiver, and then he just drops balls left and right, more so for the Philadelphia Eagles, but he's now in the mix there in New England. 
They also reacquired Trent Brown, the left tackle that left first to go to greener pastures and then now comes back in a trade. So now he's going to be part of that offensive line. And then on the defensive side, not only did they bring in Matt Judon from the Baltimore Ravens, thank you, so I don't have to worry about him in the division anymore. Also, Jalen Mills for your secondary. But they also bring back Kyle Van Noy, who, remember, was released by the Dolphins earlier this offseason. And then just when they thought they had Patrick Chung come back, remember, he stepped out last season due to COVID. But then he ends up retiring, says his goodbye, I believe, through Instagram or one of those social media outlets. So so you have to admit, the Patriots have done very well here to start off this free agent frenzy over the past week. And we'll see how that translates as we get deeper into the summer and obviously training camp and when the season starts well down the road in September. Now, other notes, I'm not going to go through every team, people. I'm just going to go through the most notable signings of where players have gone because we'll be here all day with that also. As much as we could talk about football and for the diehard gridiron fan to say, yeah, let's sink our teeth into all these signings and where these players are going and what does this mean for their Teams, we could talk about that, but come on. Mitchell Trubisky goes to Buffalo on a one-year deal, so he's going to back up Josh Allen. Surprise, Trubisky went there. Maybe he figures the opportunity to win because you know Allen is the long-term answer there. So Trubisky, why Buffalo? I don't know. Maybe the chance for winning a Super Bowl just being a backup. Who knows? Bud Dupree goes to Tennessee from Pittsburgh. Not surprised there, although coming off an ACL injury, you would think he's going to be 100%, but he signs a big five-year, $85 million deal with the Titans to be part of a pass rush that the Titans haven't had in quite some time. Locally, the Jets and Giants making moves. The Jets bringing in Corey Davis from Tennessee for as a wide receiver. Linebacker Carl Lawson from the Bengals, as well as Sheldon Rankins, a defensive tackle from New Orleans. So they're trying to shore up their defense, especially along the line and their linebacking core. And who knows with, remember C.J. Mosley? Whatever happened to that guy? You only hope that he's going to come back this year and make a contribution. I believe he played one half of the opening game against Buffalo and made an impact in that game and it was nowhere to be found. So that looks like that's money that may be thrown in the garbage unless he comes back with a roar. Remains to be seen there. The Giants bring in two offensive weapons, one being Kenny Galladay, the wide receiver from Detroit, as well as Kyle Rudolph from the Minnesota Vikings, the tight end, to complement Daniel Jones, as well as Saquon Barkley, who you feel will be 100% next year. What does that mean for Evan Ingram? Who knows? I don't even think he's a free agent this year. Uh, If so, he probably would have been signed already. Emmanuel Sanders goes to Buffalo. It's another weapon there for Josh Allen to go along with Stephon Diggs. Andy Dalton signs a one-year deal in Chicago with the Bears. Patrick Peterson goes to Minnesota from Arizona. Kyle Fuller, Chicago to Denver. Deshaun Jackson, who goes to the Rams, which is the threat that the Rams needed in the worst way because they have a lot of good receivers on that team. And we know who they are. Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, Robert Woods. And having Deshaun Watson is a guy that they needed desperately to stretch the field. But here's the problem with that. One, he's 34 years old. He's still fast. I got to give it up, even at 34 years of age. But a lot of wear and tear, which leads to the second and the most glaring thing, is that the guy can never stay in the field. Guy's never healthy. All he needs to do is bend down and tie his 
laces on his cleats and he's going to be on injury reserve for eight games. So that is a huge risk there. I understand it's not a big contract. I think it's only for one year. But that's the one. If he's healthy, he's going to be a tremendous upgrade. But that is a tremendous if in the process. AJ Green, Arizona, and talk about them stocking up. They also bring in Rodney Hudson, the center from the Vegas Raiders. So you have J.J. Watt there. You also have DeAndre Hopkins, as we know, Larry Fitzgerald, and now A.J. Green. Weapons are bound for Kyler Murray, so that's a good thing. Although they do lose Kenyon Drake as he goes to the Raiders, so it's kind of like a trade there when you think about it. So it's Hudson, who does get traded there, not for Kenyon Drake, but then, in essence, it looks like a trade because he goes to Vegas. You also have Trent Williams signing the biggest deal for an offensive lineman in league history as he re-ups with the Niners, six years, $138 million, 55 of it guaranteed, but the guy's 32 years old. Now, we know he's not going to fulfill all six years. We get that. You know a lot of that money's probably going to be front-loaded, and who knows, probably after year two, they may end up cutting him. That's how the league is, but to think he got that type of money, uh, especially at that age, very surprising to see. They also signed Alex Mack, the former center of the Atlanta Falcons. Juju Smith-Schuster re-signs for one year. I know he had offers from Baltimore, Philadelphia, even Kansas City where the fans were railing against him and saying, what are you doing? You're not. You're going to play with Ben Roethlisberger for another year instead of Patrick Mahomes? Well, which one is it, my guys? You want to kill the player for not being loyal or for running to get the highest payday and say, oh, the typical players, greedy, blah, blah, blah. And here he is. He stays with his original team because he wants to at less money, but they end up killing him because he doesn't go play with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, which one is it? So Juju comes back. I thought he was going to be gone, to be honest with you. Juju, I guess he feels as if there's a little bit of unfinished business. He loves staying in Pittsburgh. I'm sure he's going to stay the one year, and I don't think the Steelers are going to give him any long-term money considering they have Chase Claypool on the team, Deontay Johnson, James Washington. So they have pretty good wide receivers as it is. So he stays for one more year. We'll see how that works in Pittsburgh. Fitzmagic goes to the Washington football team. So he's on his ninth NFL team, which is amazing when you think about it. And he's been around all this time. Curtis Samuel, the former Panther wide receiver, goes to the Washington football team as well. Troy Hill, the former corner of the Rams, to Cleveland, four years, $24 million. I mean, the list goes on and on. Also, Las Vegas gets Yannick Ngakwe. He was formerly of the Jaguars by Minnesota Vikings, by Baltimore Ravens at the end of last year. So that's pretty much all the major deals. Uh, Can I talk about Gronk coming back for one year in Tampa? Uh, Who cares? That's what you have. And then Houston also has made some moves where they bring in Tyrod Taylor, the quarterback from the Chargers. Also, Mark Ingram and Phillip Lindsay. Ingram, formerly the Ravens, and also Lindsay, the running back of the Broncos. So they bring in some weapons for a one to Sean Watson. And now we could segue to him because what an offseason he's had. Considering it started off with him not wanting to be a part of this franchise any longer after signing a four-year, whatever it was, $150 million deal. I forgot what the money was, but I know it was four years, and it starts after next year. So this year he's getting paid $10 million, and then next year that's when his contract kicks in. So as much disconnect as there's been between the quarterback and its franchise, knowing that the coach was long gone, that the hope of bringing in Eric Bieniemy, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, would have been the panacea for 
Deshaun Watson and the Texans' ills. Obviously, that didn't happen because they bring in David Culley, a guy that has come on record to say he's our quarterback, he's going nowhere. But the front office, who was led by the former New England assistant GM, Nick Casario, saying the same thing, Deshaun's not going to go anywhere. Although you haven't heard from Deshaun himself saying that he wants out of Houston, to now, over the past week, you not only had one, two, three lawsuits from three different women come out in reference to services from masseuses who are female. Then on Friday, you had four other lawsuits come out to where now, as of right this second, you have possibly 12 lawsuits coming out against Deshaun Watson to where the attorney, Tony Busby, who's one of these guys that's trying to get his name out there, he'll pretty much do whatever it takes In fact, he actually ran for mayor of Houston and lost during their last mayoral election. So this guy who is, let's face it, a sycophant to say the least, now has his name attached to all these women on all these reports alleging inappropriate conduct during massages on two separate occasions. The third report alleges that the quarterback forced oral sex. And like I said, on Friday, you had four more come out, which I'm sure it's pretty much going to be the same theme. And then now, it's up to 12. Now, I'm not going to sit here to say I know all the details. We don't. A lot of this is going to come out over the course of the next few weeks and months, you would think. And we know about the background of Deshaun Watson, humble beginnings, good kid, etc. And it's not to say that he's impervious to all this because we all know once you have the fame and the spotlight, you feel like you're entitled to do certain things. And we've seen that over time. All I got to do is look at my quarterback on my team, Ben Roethlisberger, and we saw early on in his career how he almost lost his life driving a motorcycle without a helmet to start there. But then the alleged sexual assaults down in Georgia and in Las Vegas. So of course, when you're a high-profile athlete, just like Deshaun Watson is, and feels like he can get away with anything because of his name, his stature, etc. Now, again, I'm not saying that any of this stuff is true. Obviously, I wasn't there. I'm not privy to any of this stuff, but you just hope that that is not the case. And even though Deshaun Watson came out after the first alleged report to say that I'm going to do whatever it's best to clear my name, well, we haven't heard anything out of him over the last few days. And you would only hope that if he is innocent, forget about the statements through lawyers and all that. And I understand that the lawyer is going to be there to counsel him. Understood. But if he is really innocent, you would hope that in the coming days that he would face a camera, personal statement on any of his social media accounts to say, Guys, I know all of these accounts that have been alleged against me has been tough, unexpected, so on and so forth. But I know for sure 100% that in all these instances, yes, I know these women. I've met these women. Some of them, I don't know who they are. Some of whatever, they're fabricated, whatever it is. But if he could be maybe just a little transparent, and who am I to say that to him? But if he really wants to clear his name, he would start by saying, I know in my heart of hearts, I've done nothing to warrant not only these type of reports, these alleged reports, but that these are all untrue and that they will be cleared when the time comes. 
I get that he said that after one, but now after all these other ones, the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And that's not to say he's guilty. Not saying that, but maybe a lot of it has to do with this attorney that's trying to dig up all this dirt on Deshaun Watson with all these women. And again, there's a guy that wants to puff his chest out and make a name for himself. That's what it looks like from afar. I don't know that for sure, but all you got to do is go to his Instagram page where his law firm, he has a, I believe it's a ceramic shark that's underneath one of the signs. I don't know if that's when you walk in. I don't know what it is, but when you see that, I mean, geez. Kind of shows you what the guy's motive is all about, and he pretty much gives you the look that he's one of these seedy lawyers that is just out to do whatever it takes for notoriety. So that's what you have there. And then lastly on this, I don't know what possessed former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Roddy White to come out to back Deshaun Watson over the past week. I don't know if it's a brethren player thing. Now, of course, they never played together. And White, as we all know, was a very good wide receiver in his day for the Atlanta Falcons. But for him to come out and post that, and this is a quote, I hate this for Deshaun Watson. This is the quickest way now to get a bag is to sue someone. It's impossible to make someone give you oral sex. This is a far stretch and everybody wants to get paid. Now, I don't know what Roddy was under the influence. I don't know what was going on in his life at the time. I don't know what possessed him to say something like that. But for him to say it's impossible to make someone give you oral sex, come on. He wasn't there. I wasn't there. And whether this happened or not, we'll never know. But at the same time, for him to make that type of statement, uh, he needs some reevaluation. And I know I'm not the only one that have said that over the last few days, but that one was just mind-blowing. And in the wrap-up of the NFL, they signed their huge deal with ESPN. We know a lot of these networks have re-upped over the course of the last couple of years, but ESPN was the last network standing to where they'll be a part of the Super Bowl rotation with CBS, NBC, and Fox. And not only that, but they'll also be part of the divisional round and wild card rotation because as you've seen over the last few years, now this year, notwithstanding because you had the extra wild card game and I guess that's going to be the norm moving forward, but generally when you have the wild card weekend, you would have the ESPN ABC game, usually the first game, that 415 game, and then the night game is usually an NBC game and then CBS and Fox get the Sunday games so where the divisional round, it was NBC, Fox, and then CBS, Fox, or Fox, CBS, however they work that out. Well, now ESPN is going to get at least one of the wildcard games and one of the division round games. So that is a huge plus for the network. And with them being in the Super Bowl rotation, that's also enormous as the NFL continues to just ka-ching and laugh all the way to the bank. Also, Amazon Prime has the exclusive rights for the Thursday night games. I don't know if those games are going to be on NFL Network, but... Everybody could stream Amazon Prime in this day and age. So Jeff Bezos and company, they put their money where their mouth is. I know he's not the CEO anymore, but still they're going to correlate Amazon with the former CEO. And that's what you have there with the NFL. So bulletproof as they are, they could just continue to keep on mowing the competition. And what I mean by that is baseball, basketball, hockey, etc., all on down the line. So NFL continues to reign supreme over the rest of, of the sports world. Now to turn my attention to the ice. 
You got a few changes here. I know that Central Division, it seems like they just play leapfrog week in and week out. Whether it's Tampa, Carolina. I know Florida hasn't been able to get to first place. Maybe they did show off the top of my head earlier in the year. But it seems to be a race between Carolina and Tampa to where now, with Carolina hitting the skids a bit, Tampa has a little bit of separation as they're atop the Central at 48 points, followed by Florida and 44, Carolina 43. And now the Blue Jackets have the fourth spot, although they're tied with the Blackhawks in fourth place for the division. I know Nashville's behind them, four points. We'll forget about them for now. So it looks like there's going to be a five-team race as of right now in the Central. The East, another logjam at the top between the Capitals and Islanders. And the Islanders now will lose Anders Lee for the remainder of the season as it's been reported that he has a torn ACL where he got entangled with one of the Devil players a week or so ago. And now he's going to be done for the season. So let's see what the Islanders are going to do. Trade deadline's down until April 12th. They do have a $7 million exception because of the Anders Lee injury so they could bring in a player or players to their team for the stretch run and into the postseason. So we'll see what happens then. The Penguins behind them with 40 points and now Evgeny Malkin is week to week as he's dealing, I believe, with a lower body injury. So the Penguins are going to lose one of their top snipers here for quite some time or at least week to week. But as we know, a guy who has a lot of miles on his legs and wondering, yes, it is a lower body injury. Of course, it's undisclosed as to what exactly what it is. But something to keep in mind here as the Penguins try to continue to plug away with their veteran players, as I've said time and time again, whether your name is Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, etc. So Malkin now week to week. But the main concern right now, especially in that division, is the Bruins. They have four players that are out due to COVID and did not play a game against the Sabres on Saturday night. They will not play the Islanders tomorrow and their facilities have been shut down until Wednesday. So how is this going to affect the schedule? Moving forward as we're now into the second half of the season, I said this earlier, and with the NHL having to make up all these games, it's going to be a test for Gary Bettman and company to try to get all these games in. Because how are they going to have certain teams in the division play their full slate of 56 games and then the Bruins have like 51? So we have to see whether or not these games are going to be made up here. And the Flyers, I believe, have some games to be made up as well. Because remember, they also were affected due to coronavirus earlier on in the season, as well as the Devils, but the Devils aren't going to come close to making the postseason. So this is just something that the league is going to have to deal with now, just when they thought they were in the clear, just when they thought that they could exhale a little bit from all of the early season malaises with COVID and the impact that it's had on some of these teams. Now they have the Bruins to worry about as they're a team looking to jockey for position in the Eastern Division. And right now they're just three points ahead of the Flyers, and they do have a game in hand, which helps, but we shall see what happens there. Now, interestingly enough, as I look at the Rangers, they had a game this week where they didn't have any of the coaches behind the bench. I believe it was Thursday night against the Flyers. And it has to be the first time in league history where not one of the coaches were present to be a part of the game. And it just so happened because David Quinn and company were out and having to deal with the protocol that the Rangers had their biggest margin of victory win for the first time, I believe, going back to the 80s in a 9-0 shutout of the Flyers to where Mika Zibanejad tied Brian Trache's, what is it now, 
No, actually, yes, 33 years. I got to do my math. Whatever, 1978. No, geez, I'm way old. 43 years, excuse me. 43-year record of six points, three goals, three assists in one period alone. And he did that against the Rangers. And Mika Zibanejad equaled that. So, And he's had a long season. Not played well. He's actually underachieved this year. But that was his crowning moment of this aborted season. So let's see if the Rangers have any gas in the tank, if they can make a push. And they also have Artemi Panarin back. Remember, there was that controversy early on where he had to leave the team due to some reports coming out of Russia about him and an incident with a woman 10 to 12 years ago to where he actually struck a woman outside of a nightclub, I believe it was. And a lot of that, due to their investigation, was his former coach, Andrei Nazarov, I guess showing a little bit of retribution towards his former player because of comments that he made about his country and about the government and probably trying to take a jab at him through the media by saying that he had this incident many years ago in Latvia and how this is something that has been unresolved and the Rangers had to do their due diligence to make sure that this player was cleared and not only that but also to make sure that nothing has happened while he's been in the league with any incidents of that nature so it looks like all is right in his world and that it was pretty much a lot of scuttlebutt behind the scenes. But the other news coming out, and yeah, the divisions, like I said, still pretty much, you know, the Maple Leafs are still playing pretty well. I know the Edmonton Oilers have made a run here to where they're tied with the Maple Leafs atop the North Division. But the big news is Colorado, as they're trying to inch closer, and they have done so, they've made a pretty nice stretch here, winning six in a row, two points behind the front-running Vegas Golden Knights. They made an acquisition with the Sabres, bringing in Jonas Johansson. And the reason why I bring him up is because Philippe Grobauer, the starting goaltender for the Avalanche, who has pretty much been a huge part of this run here, winning these six games in a row, their backup scenario has been awful to the point where I believe they are last in a bunch of stats when it comes to their backup goaltender's concern. And I get bringing in the warm bodies better than what they currently have. But if you ask me, bringing in Johansson is a guy who is in six games with the Sabres is 0-5-1 with a 3.79 goals against and an 8.84 save percentage. Uh, it might as well could have called me up to come out to Colorado to become the backstopper there for the Avalanche. Because this is a team, if you recall, beginning of the year, a lot of people thought that this was a Stanley Cup-worthy team to come out of the West. And with all the workload that Grubauer's had to endure here over the last, I guess, two weeks plus, I mean, he's been played in 20 of the first 25 games and has won all these games in a row. To bring in a guy like Johansson, I get that they're not going to bring in a Vesna Trophy winning goaltender here but geez uh, could they have done a little bit better than the guy who hasn't won a game this year in six tries so that's what you have there with Colorado as they are now like I said two games behind the top spot in the Western Conference and that's what you pretty much have there with the NHL nothing else really to report the distance is pretty much what we've seen here not many teams have crept up from the bottom of the standings to get themselves within reach of the third or fourth seeds in each of these divisions, but we'll continue to keep our fingers on the pulse when it comes to what's happening on the ice 
as we get closer toward the end of this month and into April as the races you would think would start to heat up. All right, now let me turn my attention to what's happening on the diamond. And just to tell you how fast time flies, I remember on January the 4th, the day after the NFL regular season concluded, how I mentioned that we're just six weeks away from pitchers and catchers. And even once they reported back in mid-February, I said that, hey, we're still a ways to go before we could truly start thinking about baseball, before we could think about warm thoughts and have the curtain raised on a new season and a full season at that. We know we're coming off the 60-game season of last year. Well, we're now 10 days away from opening day. That's right. You could count them on both hands. And I don't know how many of you are waiting for first pitch. Me, I'm a guy, I'm a summer guy. I always look forward to the baseball season. My birthday's next week, so I always look forward to the spring. I always look forward to the baseball season. It, to me, it goes hand in hand with baseball. Now that the season starts a lot earlier than it used to back in the first or second week of April many years ago. But because I'm a summer guy and I look forward to baseball, unlike the NFL season, I know everybody looks forward to the football season, but me, uh-uh. Shorter days, that means colder weather's coming. Uh, to me, the football season could wait. That's right. I've said it before and I'll say it one more time. When everybody's amped up for an NFL season, that's when I yawn. Will I be there for week one? Without a doubt. But I am not rushing time and I'm certainly not rushing my summer to get through to have a football season start just for the sake of it. Not this guy. But now the one thing you have to worry about if you're a Met fan, and I'm going to say worry for this reason. With Francisco Lindor and his comments the other day about how he doesn't want to talk about his contract once the season begins or even extending his contract once the first pitch arrives and that for the Mets will be next Thursday in D.C., nation's capital, to go up against Max Scherzer and the Washington Nationals. But what he said was, is that not only does he not want to talk about it, but he did say that he's going to become a free agent at the end of the season. Now, was that a sign for him to tell Met Management, in particular Sandy Alderson, and of course the owner, Steve Cohen, to say, hey guys, if you're not going to pay up now, I may be walking come the end of October. Is that a pressure point for management to kind of come up with a deal right now so they could secure and procure this player for at least six, seven, or eight years? I think it's a good ploy for them to do so. Now, here's the thing. We know his contract doesn't begin until next year, but if you're management, do you play that game of chicken to see how the season goes? As we know, historically, a lot of these big stars in a walk year, they have these monster years and then jack up the price. Or do you pay him now knowing that you could get more of a, I'll say it this way, a low ball offer as opposed to him possibly having an MVP type season knowing that you're going to have to fork over the biggest bucks possible where now you could kind of get that discount if you get him in the fold before opening day? I think what it's going to take, minimum it's going to take seven years. I don't think he's going to get anywhere close to the 10 years, $300 million deal that a lot of these players have gotten in recent vintage. If you're looking at, let's say, Fernando Tatis. Now, Tatis is 22. So he signed a 13-year deal for a reason. Lindor, although 27, but 
he's not going to sign for 12, 13 years. If you're the Mets, this is what I would do. I would start seven for 245 and go as high as eight for 280. That's still $35 million a year. And how I look at it is, is that I compare him. Now they play different positions. I get that. They're still in the infield. But I compare him to the deal that Nolan Arenado got. Now, Arenado, I believe, got somewhere, I want to say it was like 8 for 260 or 265, somewhere around there. Now, all Nolan Arenado has done since he's been in the major leagues is won eight consecutive gold gloves. He's been uh, an all-star multiple times. Power numbers left and right. Yes, it's in Colorado, course Field. 1,000% understand that. And now we're going to see the true Nolan Arenado moving forward. Now that he's going to be playing his games in St. Louis at Bush Stadium. But those guys to me are comparable and that's the type of contract I think that Lindor should receive. I don't know if he's worth $300 million. I would say he is not. He's a guy that it would probably be somewhere between 250 and 280. And I think if the Mets give him that, that is as fair of a contract that you could possibly get before the start of the season. Now, you know the Mets are going to have to overpay to get him at the end of the day because even if they look at 8 for 280, they may say, how about 8 for 300 or 320 or whatever. But that's where I would start if I'm Steve Cohen and I will not go anywhere over $300 million. I wouldn't. Because remember, you got to pay Michael Conforto after this year and he's a homegrown guy. Are you just going to let him walk? And he's a Scott Boris client. Not that that matters now in the day and age of Steve Cohen, but still. And the Mets right now, I believe, are currently have the third highest payroll in baseball. Maybe fourth. I think it's Yankee. It's Dodgers, Yankees. Mets may be third right now. I saw this sometime last week. But anyway, something to really concern yourself with if you're a Mets fan right now. Because if Lindor's going to walk after the season and you traded away Ahmed Rosario, who right now could be a starting center fielder in Cleveland, believe it or not, because Andres Jimenez has been that impressive so far in camp, you're going to come away with nothing. And then the other part of that trade, Carlos Carrasco is not going to start the season because he has a, I believe, a torn hamstring. So who knows how long he's going to be out. And as we know, the starting rotation isn't as deep as it once was. So the Mets have a lot of questions that need to be answered right now and it all starts with Lindor's contract. I hope they get it done. Do I think they're going to get it done? You know what? I'll go on a limb and say I think they will. Because the Mets weren't going to bring him here for a one-year rental. And if they meant business by bringing Lindor here and his smile, the dyed hair, 27 years of age, and right in the middle of his prime, then why are they going to let him walk? So we'll see how that uh, shakes down. You also had Salvador Perez, the last of the World Series team. I know they brought back Wade Davis and Greg Holland, but they extend him four years, $82 million for the five Royal fans out there that are listening who care. But that's good because he's symbolic of that team. He was the World Series MVP, unfortunately against my beloved Mets. But so what? Good for him and good for Salvador Perez as they made some moves this offseason to kind of be competitive in that AL Central, but obviously they're going to have some tough sledding in a division where they have the White Sox who will be favored to win a division and the Indians who are still going to be competitive even with Lindor here in Queens. Joey Votto, I know he had that bout with COVID for the Red fan out there. He didn't discuss it. 
upon his return and he's not going to play anytime soon or suit up. He's going to rest up as much as he can and I'm sure he'll get a few at-bats before the team moves north here in April. And what about that crazy story with the Chicago minor league player? Caught with 21 pounds of meth and 1.2 pounds of oxycodone pills in his duffel bag as he was transporting it from wherever he was as he got caught in Denver, Colorado. I guess he was trying to get to the border in Mexico where quite possibly he was going to distribute that. So for Jesus Camargo Corrales to be arrested in Denver and charged on a felonious account of unlawful distribution and possession, it does not look good for him and certainly for his future in baseball. Other than that, there's nothing much to report here for the major leagues. You're just trying to get yourself to next week and get yourself started on a baseball season where we'll, God willing, get 162 games. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of doubleheaders and COVID. We understand it's going to be challenging to say the least, but uh, baseball is just 10 days away and we're counting those days down until we can finally say play ball. And let me wrap up with golf. And the only reason why I bring up golf twofold, one, you have a lot of these tournaments that have been played over the last couple of weeks. I didn't talk about the TPC last week where Justin Thomas won, I believe his 15th tour victory. And not that that's a major by any stretch, but the players, a lot of people, and especially the golf aficionado, likes to look at that as a big tournament. And Justin Thomas, who's been flying high and going into later part of this month and into next month uh, as hot as a pistol. But you had Matt Jones winning the Honda Classic there yesterday in Palm Beach, winning by five shots, and he earns a trip to the Masters, which is two and a half weeks away from today and two weeks from this coming Thursday. So with Jones being a part of the Masters mix, as well as Justin Thomas, one player that may not be part of the mix, and it's not Tiger Woods, who's recovering back in Florida as he tweeted his thanks for his well wishes, and we'll see how his rehab and recovery goes. Uh, I think at the earliest we're going to see him, if I had to make a prediction, will be probably January of next year, and you would think he's going to gear up for Augusta next year. Tiger, you would think with everything that's in his DNA, he's going to circle that date on his calendar, which I believe would be what? April 9th of next year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe April 7th, as the tournament will kick off on the 8th. But Tiger's resting and doing well, after the car accident he suffered there a few weeks back. But the one player you're not going to see or possibly won't see is Brooks Kepka. He's actually recovering from knee surgery where he had some ligament damage and even a dislocated kneecap. So it's undetermined on whether or not he's going to take a crack at the first major of this year, which would be a shame when you have a guy like Kepka who's been a big winner over the last few years, whether you love him or not. And it remains to be seen. He may show up there come April 8th, but right now it's very uncertain. But you still have a very good field, which is led by, obviously, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, of course, Bryson DeChambeau, Lee Westwood, who played very well in the players last week and again fell short. Again, not a major, but still he's looking for that elusive first major to finally get under his belt. And we'll see what Westwood does as we get closer to the Masters, and obviously once it begins. So even though you don't have the star power of Tiger Woods, or maybe in this case with Brooks Kepka, but you still have a very good field, also headlined by Patrick Reed and Xander Shoffley. So 
Just something I thought I'd bring up there as we're really getting to the teeth in the early portion of this golf season as we get to Augusta. So I thought I want to throw that there in the mix to get everybody's golf appetite a little whetted as we inch closer to a tradition unlike any other where the first major will kick off there two weeks from this coming Thursday. And now let me get to my hero in zero of the week. My hero of the week is former NBA center Sean Bradley, who was paralyzed in a bike accident dating back two months ago. Now, word didn't come through until this past week where he was hit by an automobile from behind just a block away from his home in Utah. Just a terrible story how he needed neck fusion surgery, has spent the last eight weeks hospitalized and also rehabilitating. Now, remember, Sean Bradley was a number two pick. Back in 1993 from BYU, 7'6", obviously just as tall and gangly as can be, but never really panned out, never really turned out to be a dominant force in the NBA as he was also a member of the New Jersey Nets at that time and also the Dallas Mavericks. And also the reason why he's my hero is because today he celebrates his 49th birthday. So not only did he suffer this accident and just as bad as it could possibly can and thankfully he's still alive and he's breathing but by him being paralyzed and having that neck fusion surgery it suggests that he's probably paralyzed from the neck down and certainly this is a thought that I'm sure was so far from his head that he would even think to spend his 49th birthday recuperating and rehabilitating just a serious accident and thankfully he's still around to at least see the light of day but Sean Bradley happy 49th to you Thoughts, prayers, wishing you a speedy recovery. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to the NCAA for showing zero love to the women's game. And with their tournament beginning, no major upsets at this point. But for them to have these practice facilities, these weight rooms, a microscope of what the men's players get and was brought out over the weekend by one of the Oregon players, one of the women players who videotaped Wait a minute, the men get this expansive weight room with machines and dumbbells, etc. While the women's get this small little rack that are just, I mean, please, uh, probably a 10-year-old could use. And then on top of that, the arrival goodie bags that they get by showing up, and I believe they're in San Antonio, but the men's, they get all these different types of goodies where the women's get like a water bottle. And uh, Give me a break. NCAA, what are you doing? How they're treated as an afterthought to their counterparts in the men's game is a disgrace. Where the vice president, Dan Gavitt, had to apologize for the error. They say it's been fixed since then, but come on. I mean, they got to get with the program here. I understand they were trying to cut back on costs because of what happened last year and not making any money from the tournament, but they got to take it out on the women for that regard? I mean, please. The players are what makes the tournament. Have you forgotten about that? So NCAA, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it, episode 186 in the books. My appreciation to all you guys and gals out there to listen to me on a week-in, week-out basis. I hope you enjoyed that as I bring the fire, the passion on everything that's happening in the world of sports. And as I said at the very top of the introduction of this podcast, the help and expansion of this podcast only grows by you guys contributing to that. And by doing so, if you could subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Overcast, CastBox, all, you name it, Amazon Music, I am out there. 
That's going to increase the visibility by you doing that. Leave me a rating, post a review, please, guys. I would, again, truly appreciate that because I want to continue to bring on that guest. And I know I didn't have one last week, and I'm hoping to get some more in the weeks and months to come to share their experience of what's happening on the diamond, ice, gridiron, etc. Whether it's the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, studio host, you name it. I want to have those people on so I could flip that to you guys so they could share what happened between the white lines or in the broadcast booth or behind the scenes in the press box. That's what I want to do on a week-in, week-out basis. Not only just to tell you my thoughts and feelings every Monday, but also to have that guest to come on. So please, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so on any of my social media accounts on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, which is Strictly Sports. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. Send it over. I will certainly follow up with you guys ASAP. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor of this podcast that I love to produce each and every week, whether it's the upkeep of the website, equipment, production, etc., you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy.com. Again, grateful, thankful for whatever it is you want to contribute to that. It would mean the world to me because whether you listen for the first time or you've been here a few times or even over a hundred times, you know that this is what I love to talk about. It's in my blood. It's in the DNA since birth. This is what I've pretty much centered my life around. Consuming, inhaling, drinking, eating, talking sports. No matter what it is, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>